Hey everyone, welcome to episode 108 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. Uh, Tara Wellman is still out. She is still uh, prepping to get married here in a few weeks. So it is just me, Alex Crisofoli, but I am joined by a guest, uh, Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Alex. How are you? I'm doing very well. And I'm glad I had you on because I've always wanted to ask someone from Fangraphs if I could get some sort of honorary degree for being the one who noticed that Tommy Pham liked that um, article about Matt Adams playing in, uh, in, in left field and then tweeting it out to, uh, I guess, much acclaim uh, or not acclaim. I don't know. That is a classic. That is one of my, it's right up there with Daniel Murphy getting upset with writers that don't go to Fangraphs for like the best Fangraphs moments. I don't. Refresh my memory on the on the Daniel Murphy one. I don't remember that. There was some uh, press conference, and he was... I don't even remember which national it was, but he was saying some guy should be in the All-Star game. Maybe it was like the last four vote in or something. And the reporters were like, well, why do you think like why do you think he deserves the All-Star spot? And he just said, do you get a fan graphs at all? <laughs> well, th- that's... Uh. That's very cool because I feel as though the players are reading sites like Fangraphs uh, uh, much more than, say, five, especially 10, 15 years ago. Um, And it's become much more of a mainstream site, not just for people like me uh, who consume baseball and are interested in stats, but the actual players themselves. Have you all sort of felt that on that side of the fence? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think... I think some of it has to do with the fact that we've gotten better in general at writing accessible articles um, that aren't just like a big pile of statistics, but also it just has to do with the fact that like the average player in the league is younger than I am now. Um, You know, 15 years ago, I was very online as it were, but the average player might not have been. Now it's like kids who are growing up like with the internet and, they like baseball and there's a lot of baseball on the internet. I mean, it's not even remotely only us. Like look at pitching ninja. Every, every major league pitcher follows him. And what would the equivalent of that be 15 years ago? I just don't even know. Yeah. I guess that's a good point. I'd never thought of it from that standpoint that a lot of it probably does have to do with the fact that the players are so much younger than I am. at It is. It's really cool though. Like I have a few times, uh, either heard from like a player's agent or heard from like our editors, like, Hey, X read this. And like, it's just awesome. Like it doesn't get old. No, I'm sure. And I, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but before the season started, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner, Falafa kind of basically used something you wrote, um, as, as motivation for this upcoming season. And Mm -hmm. what you wrote was certainly not, not bad at all. It, It basically just said, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the projections basically said a former catcher is probably not going to be that great at shortstop. And he he said something to the effect. Yeah. It was a very positive exchange, at least as far as Twitter goes, that, hey, well, I'm going to use this as motivation for this upcoming season. And yeah. uh, I think he tweeted that directly at you or or at the Fangraphs account. Uh, How did that go down? I think at the Fangraphs account, yeah. And okay. he's been great. He's uh, I don't think his batting line is going to keep up, but he's been, you know, he won a gold club at third base last year, which is like already wildly impressive for a guy who the Rangers essentially just told like, Hey, you're a defense minded, like left side of the infield guy, go learn catcher. And then he did that for three years. And then they were like, uh, JK, like you're, <laughs> you're back on the infield. I, I am very impressed by that story and whatever he needs to use for motivation to do it. I'm in favor of it because man, that's impressive. Well, do you ever feel the constraints of like having fan graphs next to your name? Because you can't really be like an unhinged guy online and write for fan and, f- and write for fan graphs at the same time. Like, you, do you ever wish you could just go online and be like sign Pujols, you know, or, or something to that effect? Uh, do you ever miss those days? Or I should, I guess, I should ask. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I try to try to limit my like. I just watched the Cardinals game and they choked it away, and I have a steaming hot take views a little bit more um i know that um i know that like during this cards Cubs series a few times i wanted to just feel like you know x is terrible or y is the best and i was just like mm, all right like I'll, I'll let it go i really really want to say something but i don't want to mix up like fandom and writing and that that's kind of lame but most well, of the time i'll just be honest i'm not just not a hot take kind of person 
Yeah, you said it's kind of lame, but in truth, we all could probably use a little bit of that, whether or not we're writing for fan graphs or not. <laughs> it's probably always best to think twice sometimes before firing off. Yeah, that's uh, fair. If if you had a function that where you like you send a tweet and then, but you review it in five minutes before it actually gets posted, that would be nice. That 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 would be nice. Um, I, I think they've actually even talked about having that, or like a, a sort of "Are you sure?" button. Um, but I, cool I don't then, know where period, that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that is in the development. Well, real quick, um, before we get to some of the things you've actually written lately, I, I'm kind of curious when you first realized one that this is something you wanted to do, meaning write for a place like Fangraphs, and also this is something that I I can do. Yeah. Um, I can give you a, basically I, I've always really liked baseball, obviously. Um, you know, you don't get into this if you think it's okay. And I've always loved writing, but, um, I guess when I started writing, I was working, uh, for a hedge fund, working in finance, uh, and I didn't write anything. Uh, I had I'd had other jobs where I got to like send out commentary and that kind of stuff. And I was really missing it. And Viva Alberta's put out a casting call for writers. And so I submitted an application and they said, no, uh, Craig Edwards was like, no, like you don't have any work. So pass. And so I started just writing like fan posts, um, just like putting them up in the free section that I don't know, 10 people read. And I wrote like one a week for six months and they were like, not very good. Uh, but I kept getting better at it and I really like writing. And then when Craig left, they uh, hired people to replace him. And I was like, hey, I've submitted this application. And they said, well, do you have any writing samples? And I said, yes, I've been writing these completely unread fan posts for six <laughs> months now. And they're like, oh, these are good enough. All right, you're in. And so then I wrote for Viva Alberto's two times a week for like a year. And then uh, when Fangraph started hiring to replace uh, Jeff Sullivan, because that's basically how this works. Basically, people leave and I go in as a worse replacement for them. Uh, they put out an open casting call. And it just so happened that at the time, I was kind of tired of my job, uh, my like my day job. And I was just going to take some time off, uh, move out here to San Francisco because my wife got a job out here. I didn't have anything lined up. And I said, oh, I'll apply. Like maybe they'll want like a few times a week contributor. And I don't know, they liked my writing from VEB and I did an interview with David Appleman who runs the website and Meg Rowley, who's the editor and it seemed like I would be a good fit. And like, they gave me like a, like a probationary job, like write three articles a week for a while and see how it goes. And it's gone pretty well, but basically like, I just, I liked writing so much that I started writing for free for no one to see. And that eventually parlayed that into a job where I wrote for free for more people to see and parlayed that into this job. Uh, it's It's been incredibly unlucrative. <laughs> it just, it could not be less lucrative. Like it, it's a full-time job now and that's really cool, but I would not say get into this for the fame and riches. I would say get into it because like I really get a kick out of writing stuff for people to read. Uh, I get a kick out of analyzing baseball too, but I just really like writing and that's what got me into it. Well, I am glad you really like it because I, for one, really enjoy reading your stuff. And I, I think you are really, you've really mastered the art of hedging. Um, and, and what I mean by that is you're very good at, at laying out your data and saying, this is a sample I'm looking at. This is what I'm pulling from. This is what I'm trying to figure out. This is what I think this all means. And this is what I think is a reasonable conclusion to all this information but I'm not saying for sure this is exactly how this works. And I, I don't say that as a joke. I, I think that's really important for baseball writers in analytics to, to use to, as like to their advantage because this is such a fluid sort of uh, when you're dealing with statistics like this, especially with how, how I don't know if news the right word some of these stats we're using are, but do you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel as though you're, you're really yeah. good at, at saying like, like, I'm not saying this is exactly what's happening here, but this is a very reasonable conclusion based on what yeah. I'm showing you. I think that's, um, I think that's kind of a, like a philosophical view almost where I am just not very certain of things in general. 
And it, and I, I very much distrust like, like a small slice of results. And I don't know how I've gotten to that point, but I think that that's, it's really useful in writing about baseball to think that way because it's just so hard and like things are constantly changing and we can't even remotely analyze all the stuff that matters. Like we don't know if, you know, if Paul DeYoung stubbed his toe walking out of the clubhouse that day and had an off day or whether like the, the glare changes slightly and it changes this guy's like uh, ability to pick up balls in the outfield. And there are just so many little factors that trying to say something like, well, I looked at how often this guy swings and misses. And so I can tell you that he's bad now. It's just, I can say that I think he's bad now, but I, I, I just have a lot of trouble ever being really certain of things. And I don't know. I, I hope that people enjoy me being able to admit when I'm not sure. And, uh, but I agree with you. Like, I think that baseball is just, it's just such a complex process that it's helpful. And I, I, I think good at hedging is a perfect way to put it. I, I'm hedging very constantly when I make conclusions. <laughs> well, one piece you wrote recently that I liked, and I think it's kind of apt to the, unfortunately, to the current version of the Cardinals. Um, I don't know if unfortunately, because it wasn't exactly about this, but it was about walks. And if you're talking about the Cardinals right now, we're going to talk about walks. Yeah. But you you laid out a column, I, I want to say this was a couple weeks ago, that kind of analyzed whether or not if a relief pitcher comes in and walks the first batter, what does that say about the batters he faces going forward? Meaning, is he more prone to like the, to walk those batters um, that he's going to face next? Or is his walk rate going to kind of remain um, pretty stable with his normal walk rate and same with league and league average? Is that a fair? Um, yeah, that's okay. a great way to put it. Um, yeah. It's Go part ahead. of the genre of things that I think when I watch a baseball game and then ask myself, wait a second, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, um, it's very logical. If you watch a game and the guy walks the first guy, you're like, oh, here we go again. I, no, absolutely. And I think Rob Maines at Baseball Prospectus is kind of really good at, at those columns as well. I remember he wrote something to the effect of when a, uh, when a pitcher walks the leadoff batter. Is, is that, and you hear announcer always say, like, you know, leadoff walks will kill you. Um, yeah. And he kind of looked at data whether or not, like, is a leadoff walk, for instance, worse actually than a leadoff single? Because a leadoff walk could mean the pitcher doesn't quite have his command, whereas a leadoff single could, you know, just be some yeah, bad exactly. Babbitt book or something like that. And at, and it was a really great article. So great, I don't even remember what the conclusion was. <laughs> but but I, but it, But those are the sort of things that... Like you, when I'm when I'm watching games, I'm hearing announcers say things like that. I do often wonder, like, I wonder if that really is true. And and I think you're really good at at those sort of columns. And so so I certainly appreciate it. With regard to the current Cardinals, the bullpen is walking. I, I think I saw this morning 15% of batters, which yeah, it's roughly is, everyone. Yeah, which is really really bad. Like histor- I think historically bad. And I, heard I, I think that, that on the Cardinals broadcast that it's the second worst Cardinals walk rate through X game, or it would be the second worst Cardinals walk rate for a bullpen of all time behind like the 1911 Cardinals. <laughs> that, that's not good. Well, and the starters are better, but they're not that much better. I mean, yeah. well, they are better, but they're, but they're not doing great either. And a lot of that falls on just like the four or five guys mostly. But I, I'm sure you saw the tweet from Mike Petriello or something to the effect of the Cardinals staff as a whole have a walk rate right here. And it's historically bad. These are the other teams that have a comparable have had that have had a comparable walk rate. I didn't do a deep dive into those other teams, but mm-hmm. I did enough of a cursory cursory glance to look at those teams and know those were not good teams. These are not teams that went on to win the world series. These are teams that did not yeah. go on to win the division. Do you think this team can survive even a division like the NL Central, which is, it's fine. It's not that good, which is what people expected. Yeah. I mean, they can't survive like this, can they? I mean, something has to change, even though they're currently 26-21, game and a half up. But I just don't see how it's sustainable throughout 162 games. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. I think that there are, there are some mitigating circumstances uh, for a few pitchers. Like, I actually don't care 
how many batters Alex Reyes is walking, really. And basically, he has what I'll call like like the closer's uh, skill set, where if you don't allow extra base hits, and he just doesn't, like mm-hmm. that that's a real measurable skill. And it's not going to continue at the rate that he is. You know, he hasn't allowed very many fly... Uh, he's allowed one home run this year, right? And it was over the weekend. Um, and that that's obviously not going to continue. But people just don't square him up. Like, he gets a lot of, like grounders chopped into the ground he gets a lot of pop-ups he misses a lot of bats and when that's the case your walks just don't hurt as much and that's one thing that like walk rate doesn't take into consideration that like a walk given out by reyes is a lot less of a problem than a walk given out by john gant i mean i guess he's mostly been starting or like kim has only been Ponce starting but night. yeah Ponce de Leon. if you're just like recording outs on a tremendous number of the batters you don't walk, I think it matters a little less. And so, like, yeah, Reyes has a 20% walk rate, and that's awful. Like, it's it's bad enough that it's actually hurting his results. But I'm not too worried about him continuing to run an elevated walk rate as long as his stuff is as electric as it is. I do worry about the fact that he changed throwing motion this year and started walking 20% of the batters he faces. Uh, if, like, if he needs this throwing motion to be healthy... And it's going to keep his control, the scatter shot. Maybe that's a problem. But his stuff is still just, just ridiculous. Um, the rest of the walk rate is a huge problem. And I don't know. Like I had high hopes for Whitley coming up, and it just doesn't look like he's. I don't know. Like the fastball misses bats, but the changeup doesn't miss enough, and the fastball isn't in the zone enough. And yeah, maybe maybe it's just not going to work. Um, if they keep walking this many people, they will not continue to be a good bullpen. If you look at their like strikeout rate and their home run rate and everything, it, it's fine. Like it's not a bad bullpen, but like it's better than just the walk rate would make you think because they they strike out a decent number of batters and they don't allow too many home runs. But I don't think that'll continue. I I think if they don't either get some bullpen help or have the guys who are in there start pitching better they won't be able to keep the division lead because I don't know, like the starters aren't getting enough depth to make up for it basically. Right. Um, Speaking of Friday's game. uh, Well, I guess no one was speaking of Friday's game, but I'm going to speak of Friday's game now uh, against the Cubs. The, it was a close game for about seven innings. And then the final score uh, did not not reflect. Yeah. Yeah. It was not, did not reflect a close game. Schilt. After having uh, the the Cardinals had the day off on Thursday, and then Schilt, uh, with the bases loaded, brought in Tyler Webb, who um, has had trouble getting lefties out, at least in his last couple outings, um, which is a problem if you're a pitcher like Tyler Webb. And shoot, I I don't even remember who who came in to relieve Tyler Webb, but it was not Gallegos. It was not... um, Yeah, they they kind of punted, basically. Once, Once Webb was bad, they just gave up. Right. So... And and to be fair, Webb was brought in to face two lefties, and then I think Chris Bryant. I'm, I'm trying to remember who who, who was yeah. Up so that. here I'm gonna pull it up. So Webb came in in the eighth. Is that right? Yeah, replacing Whitley, and he faced Sogard and Peterson, and then Chris Bryant, and he went like single pop out walk. Okay. And shield after the game when asked about it he basically said look i can't pitch those guys every night those guys being gallegos uh, alex reyes Henesis cabrera yeah and i i think everyone most people would agree with that what in a vacuum where i took issue with it is the fact that it was a one-run game coming off a day off and not knowing what saturday was going to look like i mean luckily it it worked out to Schilt's advantage because Saturday was a very close game and he got uh, effective and, you know, high leverage innings out of those guys. But when he's making that statement on Friday, he doesn't know if the Cubs are going to have an eight run lead on Saturday or, you know, or or just destroy the Cardinals or vice versa. So I, I thought it was questionable. I I guess logic. Um, Am I wrong? um, I mean, at the time Um, I understand it as a, argument as a whole but in the moment i i thought i didn't quite see it i'm not i'm not as against it as you are so i would split it into two decisions i 
So basically, the Cardinals come into the seventh inning, it looks like, uh, down 3-2. And right then, he brought in Helsley to replace Carlos Martinez. Like, Helsley was the first really right of the bullpen. And I don't know. Like, I think that's fine. Uh, I don't think you can really plan on going like a, like seven, eight, nine, or whatever, uh, with just your top three without knowing anything about uh, what's going on with the game. So I'm okay with what they did there. Um, looking through the box score right now. So give up two runs, right? Uh, that sounds right. That, um, I guess I could pull up the box scores. Oh, yeah, yeah. So actually, the game was tied. It was tied 2-2, and they brought in Helsley. I okay. misread it. And I think you just have to live with that. If you bring in Ryan Helsley, who throws really hard, is a good pitcher, and he gives up two runs, I mean, yeah, that's bad luck. But it's hard to never use Helsley. Like, he needs to be someone who you use in your bullpen. And the seventh inning of a 2-2 game is not unreasonable for him. I mean, maybe you could say, like, use someone else there. So, okay, that decision, I'm so-so on. So now the Cardinals are down a run heading into the eighth, and he brought in Cody Whitley instead. I I don't love that. Like, I like Whitley. I think he's a, a very interesting player. But there's a, there are enough people in the bullpen that you could maybe try someone else there. Whitley is presumably not the reliever he trusts most or even, like, fifth most, or he'd be getting higher leverage opportunities, right? I think. Like... For me, at least, I would put Whitley in the bottom half of the pen. And let's see. It looks like, on average this year, he's been coming into the game in very low leverage situations. So, yeah. So, I don't love that. I don't hate bringing in Webb to face lefties with the bases loaded. Like, I don't know. That, that's what Webb is there for. And if he's bad at it, then that's on the team to get him out of there. But he's in the bullpen for that reason. And if you bring him in there and he can't do it... Well, like, yeah, maybe maybe he's not right for it, but you should use the guy that way. And at that point, then, it looks like the game was kind of out of hand. And so he brought in Seth Ellis to basically just wear it. And yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, was, six, yeah, I was fine with it by that point. Yeah. And, like, the bases are completely loaded still, it looks like, and there's one out. Like, you're not going to win this game. Just don't bring in the good relievers. I think where I would quibble with it most is in a one-run game in the eighth inning, if you're not going to bring in one of your three best relievers, like you're kind of saying, we don't care if we win this game. And that's not a huge problem because you don't win most games that you're down one run in the eighth inning. But after a day off, I I don't know. I wouldn't mind. Like I think the problem that Schilt is facing is that good teams with good bullpens don't need they're one, two, three relievers to pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth to win a game. Like when they're up, they can use one of four guys in the seventh and one of two guys in the eighth, and then the closer in the ninth. And then if one of those guys is tired, they can swap around. The Cardinals have basically three relievers that they trust. And so you like good teams don't just use the same guy as in the seventh, eighth, and ninth every game, but the Cardinals just and Schilt just doesn't trust anyone else. And so whenever he doesn't use those guys, it's kind of a thing. And I, I don't know what the answer to that is, aside from, like, just have better relievers. But if if what happens every day is that if you're down one run, you need to bring in, like, one of your best two relievers, it's just not going to work for long. Because those guys, like, do need days off, and they sure. do need some load management. I, I think you can kind of quibble with the specifics of this, but over 162 games, there are going to be some like this. And I think the bigger problem is just that, like, there's just no depth in the bullpen. Like, lots of these guys that I thought would work out just aren't. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the Hicks injury, it stings even more now than I, yeah. I think at the time. I, I thought they would, um, I, I guess, hold their head above water much better than, than they have. Um, yeah. And, like, would you feel better if Andrew Miller was in to uh, to face those lefties? Like, probably not. Um, I, I, I guess... <laughs> I guess one of the names ringing in my mind would have been like Cabrera or uh, or, or Gallegos, even though Gallegos, yeah. so you lose the platoon advantage, but he's still very good at just... Well, I would have liked to have Gallegos come in to start the inning if if he didn't like well, say, oh, I need some time off. 
Well, and, and that's what I was going to ask you, but you kind of already answered it, which is the fact that it, it is the eighth inning. You're down one run. You don't often, you know, come back to win those games. Yeah. But so I can give you a slightly more specific answer than that. Okay. So yeah, the uh, win probability. Yeah. So if you're, if it's the top of the eighth and the home team is down a run, then they only win 25% of the time. So it's not okay. super high leverage. That's like before anything happens. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't hate not bringing Gallegos there, but it is symptomatic of a problem the Cardinals have. If you had another Gallegos level reliever, which is to say a very good reliever who is not one of the, oh man, he might be one of the 20 best relievers in baseball. This is a bad example. If you had another uh, like Yenesis Cabrera or Yenesis Cabrera level reliever, who's like a good reliever, probably above average, nothing special that you could bring in there, then I think we'd feel a lot better about these teams, about these like these decisions. But Whitley and Helsley just don't feel like that guy. And they feel like it just feels, and Ponce de Leon definitely does not feel like that guy. No. It just feels like an adventure every time they're in. And I just think that it makes it look like Schultz is managing the bullpen worse. But really, the bullpen? Like, I don't know what buttons you push when they're walking 15% of the batters they face. They're just bad. Right. And I, I guess, to be fair, if the Cardinals win that game on Sunday, which is a game they had a very good chance to win, uh, that they yes. let a seventh inning opportunity kind of slip out of their hands, um, in which they had the bases loaded, no outs, and... This was at a point in the game where it looked like no team was interested in scoring. So you felt like that, you know, you get a you get a run and you have a very good chance of winning that game. And if the Cardinals take two of three from that series, I don't know if I'm even asking you about Friday right now. And I guess right. that's just sort of the nature of baseball. Um, I, I do want to talk about Schilt for a little bit. I, I really like Mike Schilt. He obviously has so much institutional knowledge of the organization. He has a great from the outside looking in seems to have a great relationship with the players. Uh, both of those things are yeah. super important to being a manager. Um, he, from a tactical standpoint, he, he frustrates me just like I think any manager frustrates uh, the fans, uh, you yeah. know, their respective team. Um, and, and I do sometimes wonder had he followed someone like Larusa, and, you know, Larusa was also maddening. I, I think we should always remember that Larusa could be absolutely maddening as a tactician. Um, uh, yeah, he's it, getting it, a lot of uh, like because Matheny followed him. I think people remember him more fondly as a tactician. But he was not always like our favorite, you know. Like he he made some errors that just drove me nuts. I, I mean, this is kind of a, uh, a very, I guess, deep dive, but I remember in the 2002 NLCS against the Giants talking to a friend from high school being like, I don't want Larusa back next year, you know, and, and there's a very yeah. good chance, it was 2002, there's a very good chance I was wrong, you know, but, but yeah, we, we complained about Larusa a lot, but, but he also can't argue with how successful he was, and I, I do wonder if Hedshield followed Larusa instead of Matheny, who was, was very much maligned a lot for, for his tactical skills yeah. as a manager, if if his kind of reputation would be slightly different, um, the uh, I think so. Well, I I think I, back I to that. Couldn't agree with you more. I, I think back to that series against the Mets, and I bring this up because I think we had a quick interaction about it when he in the second inning intentionally walked the bases loaded, I believe, to face the pitcher. And and it was a while ago. And so I don't quite remember the exact details. And I, I think he tweeted something out to the effect that up to that point, there had been 25 intentional walks in baseball to load the bases. And he was responsible for 20% of them, I, I believe, five yeah. of them. And, and so, I know he's done it at least one more since then because he did it with Flaherty in his last yeah. start. Also early. I have the numbers up. Okay. Um, I was looking this up as soon as he started talking about Schilt because it's so maddening. He's gotten <laughs> yeah. a little better, a little better. Um, there have been 57 truly intentional walks to load the bases this year. Okay. That's not, so that doesn't count if you get behind 2-0 and and then intentionally walk. Sure. This is like before any pitches are thrown. And, 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 and it shouldn't fingers. really because you're at least trying at first to, to get a bat. Yeah. Get, yeah. I think that the ones where there are a few pitches thrown first like really are categorically different. Those are like you get to a point where you're like, well, now I'm behind in this at bat. And so it's worth it because it's a different yeah. situation. So there have been 57, like walk the bases loaded intentional walks. Mike Schultz has issued six of them. So double his share. Uh, so it's not the end of the world. I would say my 
bigger problem with it, with the ones that he's issued, is that, let me tell you what inning they've come in. <laughs> they've come in the second. Eighth, that's fine. I don't mind doing it in the eighth if you think this is a big tactical advantage from doing it. Second, second, first, second. Like, he's issuing these intentional walks at the worst possible time to just add base runners, which is the beginning of the game. Well, And sometimes it works, and when it doesn't, it's a disaster. Well, I, I guess often it's early because it happens when the pitcher's still in the game, because you're the starting pitcher, because you're looking to, to get him up. And whereas if it's a reliever who's, who's now in the game, they're more likely to, I guess, pinch hit. But I, yeah. I, I totally agree that doing it that early seems... And the, the, the last time he did it, which was with Flaherty against Pittsburgh last week, it, it worked in terms of like no one scored that inning. Um, but this was also an inning where Flaherty had already walked two batters. And so it just seems from a, just from the eye test of watching a game, it, it just seems like a very unwise way to try and escape an inning without runs, especially, yeah. and I don't even remember who he intentionally walked, but it was not a good hitter at all. In fact, I think just by a simple metric like batting average or something. So put whatever way into that. It you was want. Uh, he, he, Michael Perez, it looks like. And was he hitting worse than the pitcher at the time or, or something to that? Very, effect? very probably. The <laughs> okay. people he's walked have not been good. It's like Mickey Moniak, Jan Gomes, Luis Arias, Jonathan VR. <laughs> it's not it's not great hitters. Uh and also, like, we just got done talking about how the Cardinals have a historically bad walk rate. And it's not just the relievers, the starters aren't great either. And you're like, you're filling the bases you're making a walk score a run and they've scored a lot of runs by walking people in with the bases loaded this year and he just keeps doing it it's it does seem like he's improved he was he started on a very fast clip and he slowed down there's only been i think two in may let's uh let's look through these again really quickly um yeah there have been two in may but one was may 3rd and then only that flarity one since um so i feel like someone in the front office was probably like dude like just (laughs) Just seriously, like look at these numbers. It's really bad. Well, he did it with uh with Ponce de Leon in one game, and he just hit the next guy. He hit the pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like come I, on. That I don't remember if that was. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but that that is like the exact thing you expect for to happen, and you, and kind of deserves to happen when you when you yeah. when, when you do that. And I will also say, having the pitcher lead off the third inning, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's actually kind of nice. Um, very valuable. Giving yeah. up a chance to face a bad batter in exchange for some small leverage gain is not even always a good choice. Like, you get to face Michael Perez one less time in the game if you intentionally walk him. Right. Uh, absolutely. Um, so it is, it is those kind of little things about Shill. I, I was talking to Ben Godar and Ben Humphrey uh, on the Cardinals off-day podcast. I think... Uh, Ben Humphrey said some of the fact that, you know, it's probably something George Kissel taught him, like the value of having that force out and how much that's just, just like catnip to kind of like, uh, you know, a yeah. certain, I guess, generation of, uh, of baseball people. But uh, overall, I, I think the, gosh, I was about to say early returns on Mike Schill and he's been here for almost three years now. Um, but I, I, I am pretty pleased so far with, with Schilt as an entire package. I mean, yeah. I agree. I think that just what matters so much is that he seems like he's a really good people manager. And the stuff that you do in-game matters, but it doesn't matter that much. I mean, if it costs the Cardinals or makes the Cardinals two wins in a year, I'd be shocked. And keeping your players like motivated and happy to play every day and figuring out rotations that keep everyone like you know, engaged uh, matters more, I think, by a lot. Sure. Um Speaking of keeping players happy, uh, Paul Goldschmidt um, can never quite tell if he's happy or sad or just, uh, it, I think just he robot, wears yeah. the same face uh, no matter what emotion he's feeling. Um, he's in his age 33 season, age 33rd season, I believe. Um, do we need to be worried about Paul Goldschmidt? He seems to be hitting for less, he's hitting for less power than ever um, results wise yeah yeah he had you know I, I hesitate to talk too much about 2020 just because of how weird the season was he had like 146 wrc plus but a lot of that was built on 
on base, which is, you know, good, obviously, but, and, but his power was still kind of down from levels that we saw even his first year in St. Louis and certainly his Arizona years, the game Sunday night when he was batting, I believe in the, I I don't know. I think this was the eighth inning still, or, or maybe it was whenever Kimbrell first came in first batter Kimbrell face and and look, Kimbrell looks great right now. And so I'm not trying to say like, you you know, a lot of people are going to look silly against, Craig Campbell, yeah. but he took some really bad cuts um, the, on the first two pitches, and you're you fall zero and two against Craig Kimbrell, 2021 yeah, version. That curveball is like right now when it's on, you can't hit it. So if you swing, you're gonna miss it. Right. But do we need to be worried about Paul Goldschmidt? Um, is it far far bigger I'm, things to worry about, like what we just talked about with the walks? Or um, yeah, what, what's the I'm not level too here? worried about him. Uh, I was worried early in the season, and the thing that I'm most worried about is not so much the uh, like the the power, because if you look at his like granular batted ball data, he's still hitting the ball pretty freaking hard. Um, he's like he hasn't really f- he's hitting the ball like with more loft than he used to, and but I think that's kind of just fluky and not, it's not that different overall in the results, and he's still hitting the ball hard. I do think that the the ball is not helping, right? The fact that fewer of his uh, his fly balls are becoming home runs, he's the kind of hitter who benefited a lot from the livelier ball that started increasing in the like post-2015. And so I do think that you should tamp down your power expectations just because he's a volume fly ball guy. And a lot of the way that he gets to his home runs is because he hits the ball pretty hard. He's not one of the you know 10 most powerful hitters in baseball or anything, but he just puts a lot of balls in the air and a lot of them fly out. Um, he's still putting a lot of balls in the air. Fewer of them have flown out this year, but I'm not too worried about that because he's still hitting the ball hard. And like his maximum exit velocity isn't really down. It's as high as it's ever been. He's, he's never like an eye popping, uh, exit velo kind of guy. He doesn't hit the ball 120 miles an hour. Like Aaron judge. The thing that I worry a little bit about is how much less he's walking this year. And it looks to me like that's a byproduct of him being really aggressive early in counts. Um, he's swinging a lot more than he ever used to. And it's not like he's making less contact, but that Kimbrel at bat's a great example. You know, Kimbrel went first pitch curve, second pitch curve. And Goldschmidt hasn't always been a person who swings very much at all, particularly at first pitch breaking balls, but at first pitches. And this year he's been a lot more aggressive there. And I think it, you'd like to see his strikeouts be lower if his walks are going to go down like they are. Uh, and that that does make me a little bit worried just because that's a way that some players decline, right? Is you see it first in the walk rate. I mean, Pujols is the, the archetypical example of this where when he went to Anaheim, he was still good in his first few years there. He was still like a, a valuable player, but he just started walking a lot less. And it looked, and it sounds like from people who talked to him at the time, what happened was just that he couldn't like, he couldn't cover as many pitches as he used to. And he became more of a guest hitter, which just like, which means you're committing to more swings and lowers your walk rate. And then, but he still had the skills because he could hit the ball hard, but it just presaged a further decline. And I, I do worry that that's what's happening with Goldschmidt. Uh, not so uh, much that his production is down now, but that it says it'll be down in the future. Can you explain um, why, uh, because I think some people might be confused, like, well, I don't understand. If a, if a player's in the league longer and he's aging, I could see why his power might diminish just because his overall body is diminishing or whatever. Yeah. But why, why would his walk rate diminish? What, what is the main factor in, in that being kind of a sign that someone's skills are diminishing rather than, say, like how hard he's hitting the ball or something like that? Sure. So... Let's start with how hard you're hitting the ball, because that seems like a great metric for like your physical strength and like your fast twitch muscle ability and your ability to get the bat around in the ball. And if you were just swinging at the same like middle, middle 95 mile an hour fastball to get us a lab where we could check your exit velo over time, I think that would work really well. Um, and you could say, well, in you know, at age 28, he was hitting that exact same fastball 110 miles an hour, and now it's 108. So he's lost two miles an hour off his exit velocity generated by bat speed. Uh, but baseball is just 
like we were talking about earlier, it's very complex and players can do a lot to affect uh, like which balls they hit and they can do a lot to affect like, you know, if you start swinging at bad pitches, even if you have the same swing that you used to, you're going to hit for less power. Because if if you're making contact 50% of the time outside of the zone, as opposed to only 25% outside of the zone before because you were swinging at better pitches, you're going to top a lot more of them or get under them or you know, do one of those classic like 96 mile an hour fastball above the zone and you pop it up, those kinds of things. So one thing that a lot of batters do, uh, if they start thinking, I can't catch up with the fastball if I'm reacting. And so a lot of hitters are reaction hitters and they try to pick up the pitch and put a swing on it. And maybe they have swing thoughts of like, you know, if he throws a high fastball, I want to pick up on it early and I'm willing to get fooled. Or maybe they have swing thoughts like, you know, I'll I'll beat the fastball if it comes here because my bat can do that. But I really, really want to make sure it's not a slider first. So I'm going to watch for the dot. And if I don't see it, I'll swing. If you start thinking my bat's slower, like I'm not going to be able to do that part where I look for breaking balls and catch up the fastballs, then maybe you say, all right, well, look, pitchers usually throw fastballs in zero, zero counts. So I'm just going to swing. And I'll start my swing a little earlier. And if it's a fastball, I'm going to hit the crap out of it. And a lot of times it's a fastball and you hit the crap out of it. (laughs) Um, It just works. But, you know, sometimes it isn't. And that you can see kind of a decline in walk rate. If you just start swinging a lot more early in counts, kind of indiscriminately, that's sometimes a sign that you don't think you can catch up uh, by being a reactive hitter anymore. And so you're just trying to become more of a guess hitter succeed that way. So I, I'm going to check right now, like how much Goldsmith swings on zero, zero throughout the years. Cause I think that's a good, um, a good indicator of like, you know, are you trying to be reactive or are you trying to be aggressive? And his highest, let's see, his highest three seasons of swing rate Last year, he didn't swing very much in the first pitch at all. But other than that, it's his two Cardinals years, 2019 and 2021. And that's because I think he's just, he understands the kinds of pitches he can put in play pretty well. And first pitches are a good way to get those. But it it does result in losing walks a little bit. Um, I, I find that trying to use someone's like hard hit rate and batted ball quality to tell if they're declining is tough. A lot of guys will just keep it up. And they'll lose it in like swinging and missing more and things like that. And they'll they'll kind of sell out for hunting fastballs a little bit more and start performing worse against off speed. I'm not saying that's happening to him. Um, yeah, we don't. He walked a ton last year, like a ton. Yeah, and maybe he's just you know maybe pitchers were starting to throw him more first pitch fastballs, and so he's reacting to that by trying to swing at them more, and it'll self correct. He's always going to be a guy who strikes out a decent amount just with his swing. That mm-hmm. that's how it works, but. If he just completely stops walking, I will be worried that that's because his bat is slowing down and we just haven't seen it in the results yet because he's kind of compensating. It's kind of like if you see a pitcher um, start declining, but their velo doesn't go down. It's just their location goes down because they're overthrowing. Yeah, okay. And I assume it's kind of circular also in that when a pitcher sees that, he knows like, well... I, I, I can attack this guy more in the zone. Like he, I, He's not as scary yes. as, a hitter as he used to be, so I'm going to throw him more strikes, which is also going to yeah. result in him walking less. Is that... Totally agree. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a kind of a circular thing where, you know, if you're a little bit less afraid of throwing Goldschmidt strikes and he's also, like, having to sell out and guess a little bit more, it, it just stacks on itself. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, if you look at his zone rate, it's the highest of his career this year. He's never seen more pitches on the zone. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Well, thank you for that. I I will say, um, I guess sort of related, I have kind of enjoyed watching Yachty swing out of his shoes, like in a way that I'm not sure I've seen him quite do before. Um, Now with Yachty, I'm totally fine with it. Uh, You know, he used to be a guy who was really hard to strike out. uh, And now he's just like, eh, you know, look, I'm I'm 38 years old. I'm, you know, I'm going to be going up there swinging, which he always was. But now he seems to be in... This is me watching, and I haven't even looked at it. But now he seems to be swinging and missing a little more than than he oh, did yeah. in, in seasons past. But there's I'm actually fine. a really good fan draft article about that, not written by me. So uh, okay, you know, well, well, who wrote it? I, I may have, not mine. Who do you remember who wrote it? I may have even read uh, it. Justin Choi. 
Okay. I think I did read that. And it was basically just like he watched video of him and yeah, he was swinging out of his shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining us. We've gone about 45 minutes, and as people who have listened to this know, we always end a show with a chirp of the week, and I always let, uh, whenever I have a guest on, I always hand it over to them if they they want to do it. You said you were interested oh, in yeah. doing it, so I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have. All right. So if you've watched many Cardinals-Mets games, you probably know that Paul DeYoung kills the Mets. Um I'm a big fan of the Mets announcers, so I usually listen to their stream or their broadcast when I watch Cardinals Mets games, and they are completely aware of it, uh, much more so than the Cardinals broadcasters are, even though they also are. But Paul DeYoung destroys destroys the Mets. He has 103 plate appearances against them, and he's hitting 351, 379, 773 with 10 home runs. This is like, I mean, that's a that's an OPS well north of a thousand, and it's just he would be a Hall of Famer if he if this was his batting line overall. That is, in fact, the second highest batting line for anyone who's faced the Mets a hundred times, and that's really impressive. I mean, why? Why does Paul DeYoung do this? It's probably random, but here's what's more impressive than that: um, the third highest batting line against the Mets, minimum a hundred plate appearances is by a Cardinal who faced them 111 times. That that would be Mark McGuire uh, in his St. Louis career only. I believe, based on the way I did this search on uh, on baseball reference. But he hit basically like a worse Paul DeYoung. He hit 280, 387, 742. Um, now, Mark McGuire was hitting that way against everyone when he was on the Cardinals. So it's actually not that impressive. that he Not as impressive that he did so well. But yeah, so... Two and three on the list of the best hitters against the Mets are Mark McGuire and Paul DeYoung. But what's most impressive to me about this list is who's number one on it. And number one on this list is another Cardinal. So the top three hitters against the Mets all time, all Cardinals. Uh, do you want to take a guess as to who it is? Well, before you said it was a Cardinal, I was going to say Chipper Jones because we all know he named a dog after Shea Stadium. Or a kid, not dog. I think an actual kid he named Shea. Um, yeah. But okay, so... Chipper Jones, 45th, which is still very impressive on this list, right? Even with Willie Mays. Yeah. Okay. So a Cardinal, um, you know, there's, you have your Albert Pujols's. Uh, obviously, Stan usually didn't really overlap with the Mets. Uh, hmm. I'm going to say, you know, I, I almost wanted to say someone in the 60s, but I'm hesitant to do that because of how, you know, we know how pitching could be in the 60s. Uh, a hundred plate appearances, you said minimum. Yes, and this person has a hundred and one. So a hundred and one. Um, would Jack Clark have gotten a hundred and one? I'll say Jack Clark. It is actually Stan Musial, which is really you're, impressive to me. You're, you're so kidding he me? Okay. Almost didn't overlap with the Mets at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, Musial's last season was 1963. Um, the Mets, I believe, debuted in 1962. Uh huh. And Musial was not that great at this point in his career, right? Like he was still he still had a very good season in uh, sixty two in sixty two, and then he basically was done in sixty three. But Stan Musial faced the Mets just enough, just enough. Um, let's actually quickly look when the Mets were incorporated. Yeah, nineteen sixty two. So he faced them only in his last two seasons of his career, and he hit. 405, 515, 684 against them. Just absolutely destroyed them. What was that uh, slugging against? 684? 684. Okay. Which is, I mean, outrageous, but the 515 on base percentage is just like like more outrageous. It's a 198 OPS. I don't even know how to pronounce them when they're that high. Like, it, it just sounds wrong. And, you know, he was, again, like a good hitter in 1962 and a bad hitter in 1963. And against the Mets, he was one of the best hitters of all time. And I just find it incredible that the three best hitters against the Mets are three Cardinals. And it's two Cardinals who you think of as some of the best hitters in Cardinals history. Stan Musial is the best hitter in Cardinals history, unless you want to count Pujols. Mark McGuire's Cardinals peak was one of the highest peaks that any Cardinal ever had. And then literally Paul DeYoung, who is an average bat, average glove shortstop who will go down in Cardinals history as, you know, 
a guy, like a nice player, a player that I really appreciate and enjoy watching. And if he gets one Hall of Fame vote, I'll be shocked. And he's wedged right between two of the best hitters in franchise history. And they're all three at the very top of this weird and specific list. That is awesome. I, I'm I'm happy I at least had the sense to mention Stan Musial, but then I guess I concluded that. Oh yeah, if it. you gave me 15 guesses, I never would have guessed it. <laughs> I, I I was I guess sort of right that he didn't overlap with them very much, but he still overlapped with them enough to get 100 plate appearances. But no, that's great because I I was born 1979, so I grew up kind of. That was introduced to baseball in the 80s when the Cardinals and Mets were doing their thing. And that's still my favorite rivalry um, that the Cardinals, you know, the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry is like forever. But in terms of like yeah. these little intermittent rivalries, that is easily my favorite. Uh, that, that was such a great rivalry. Um, and, you know, my, my first game was the Tommy Hurst seat cushion game. You know, so I, I have a lots of Cardinals-Mets uh, good, good feelings. So, I, and I like that even more. And I was... Speaking of the Mets announcers, I was very happy that Keith Hernandez finally got um, inducted into the Cardinals Hall of Fame, just because it clearly yeah. meant a lot to him. And, and I think that made Yeah, I made a point of, uh, of listening to his broadcast on the day that he got inducted, and he was like very touched. I think that's quite cool. Yeah, no, I do too. And, so, and that was very nice. Um, ben, thank you. That was, that was an awesome trip of the week. That's going to be a tough one to live up to for future guests and, and for myself, I guess. But uh, thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, do you want to tell us real quick? Uh, I, I know you had, a, you had an article today that, gosh, I read it. Um, it also was interesting. Oh, yeah, this, it, it, was, it, was a, it, was, it was a similar to what I was talking about earlier. Refresh my memory, what it was about. Yeah, this was uh, actually specifically about Javi Baez's home run on Sunday night. Yes, I didn't actually yes. say that. Yes. But so a runner advanced to third. Reyes bounces the first slider in the dirt. Baez swings through it. Then Reyes hangs the second slider. Baez obliterates it. Game over. Um, so I looked at whether pitchers are afraid to bounce pitches in the dirt with runners on third. And I wouldn't say I had the most robust controls. I just looked at it in the afternoon and was like, this seems weird. But basically, no, pitchers don't care. They, they bounce pitches in the dirt all the time with runners on third. Even a little bit more because they just really want to strike out the batter. Makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Very few pitches come home on wild pitches. Very few runs come home on wild pitches with a runner on third because the ball has to get really far away. Pitches in the dirt are a good way to get swings and misses. And so, yeah, pitchers don't look like they actually care that much about the runner on third, which is, I think, just reasonable. Like, contact is really bad and strikeouts are really good. And caring about the running game should just be a secondary concern when what you really want to do is just not let the guy put the ball in play. Right. So yeah, I am writing articles like that and finding at times even more like meaningless and small conclusions and sometimes sometimes useful ones too. Um, you can find my writing there. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Ben underscore Clemens or, you know, just, just don't because that's a very annoying handle. Um, uh, but you can find me uh, mainly at Fangraphs and I, yeah, I had a great time coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Ben. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, please, if you want to, rate and review. I know I'm supposed to say that at the end, but you know, if you want to, you don't have to. Um, I never do, so you don't, <laughs> you, you don't have to feel compelled to either. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining us. Go Cards. Go Cards.